All right, story lovers, part two of Aristotle's Poetics. Um, I know that last week I went through a lot and um, going to do the same thing this week. For those of you who might not have listened last week, I'm going to do a little review. But also I wanted to start by reminding everybody how important poetics is to us as screenwriters. So many of the tenets of story that he lays down when speaking about tragedies of his time apply to us as screenwriters today. So these nuggets of wisdom that are interspersed throughout this book are so worthy to pull out and study. Whether or not you have a reverence for the Greek tragedies, the idea that Aristotle, one of the great minds, wrote down these rules of how to tell a great story should be revered and respected. It's not even a matter of reverence. It's a matter of worth because these rules work. These rules produce great results. When you follow them, you understand how to tell a better story. So that's the purpose of the whole thing, right? So We left off around chapter eight. Once again, I'm not going to read directly from the book, except in certain places. Um, I don't want it to get monotonous. Uh, I highly recommend that you read the book yourself because I'm skipping over tons of stuff, right? So in, in this book, he's talking about all of the writers of his day. He compares, he contrasts. Every time he gives an example of how to write a great tragedy, he then gives a bunch of examples of Greek tragedies who do it right and who do it wrong. I'm not bringing any of that up. The only thing I'm doing for this Story Love podcast is pulling the pieces of advice, rules that he's written down that apply to screenwriting. So just want to be clear that I'm jumping around and just pulling the snippets that are the most important for us as screenwriters. Um, There's a lot of other great stuff in here, all kinds of things in general pertaining to Greek tragedy. So if that's your thing, you should definitely read this. (laughs) And also um, things about character and setting, tragedies versus um, epic poetry. He goes into tons of uh, of details about other things that I'm leaving out. So the only thing that I'm talking about pertaining to poetics is what affects us and helps us as screenwriters. But the most important thing that you can take from this book, if you take nothing else, and I said this last week, but I'm doing a little recap of the most important things. If you take nothing else away from poetics and you only take this one thing, it will be worth it. And that is unity of plot, the structural union of parts, meaning every single scene leads to the next. And if it doesn't, it does not belong in your screenplay. Your plot must be so tight that if you take one scene out, the whole will fall. That is the idea. That is what makes what he's asking us to do so difficult, which I suspect is the reason why people don't want to learn it because it is hard. And so looking for easier ways doesn't help at all. doesn't help you at all. It just helps you to write easier stories. We don't want easy stories. We want difficult stories. That's how we gain catharsis because we've gone through an experience together. Story is what happens. Plot is how it happens. These two things interwoven together create cathartic stories. What Aristotle says is the most important part of constructing a plot is cause and effect. And that ties right into unity of plot. 
each scene causes the next to happen. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a second. He talks about tragedy, what we know today as drama. People think of drama as the genre drama, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creating a story with conflict, right? So tragedy equals drama, not the genre drama, the idea of dramatic conflict. So that property of a story transcends whatever genre you're writing in. So when we're talking about the properties of a great plot, tragedy or dramatic action is an imitation of a complete action, including events that inspire fear or pity, and that effect is heightened when they follow cause and effect. The tragic wonder, he calls it. The tragic wonder will be greater if the events follow cause and effect. And we're going to talk more about fear and pity in a moment, but the basic thing that you need to understand is that pity is aroused by unmerited misfortune. Watching someone undergo unmerited misfortune. That is what pity is, right? So we're talking whether you're watching a comedy or a drama or a science fiction. If you're watching someone be affected by unmerited misfortune, that is inspiring pity. But if you're watching someone like yourself experiencing extreme misfortune, someone that is like yourself, that's fear. That also can transcend all genres. So he dives deeper into the terms fear and pity. Fear and pity may be aroused by spectacular means, but they may also result from the inner structure of the piece. We're going to talk a lot about inner structure of the piece, your inner story. Everything's coming from within your story, not from outside places. He actually says, when these events result from the inner structure of the piece, it is the better way and indicates a superior poet. The plot ought to be so constructed that even without the aid of the eye, he who hears the tale told will thrill with horror and melt to pity at what takes place. There's a quote. I'll read it again. I don't quote a lot from the book. This one merits a, rep a repeat. The plot ought to be so constructed that even without the aid of the eye, he who hears the tale told will thrill with horror and melt to pity at what takes place. This is important, and I'm going to tell you why it's so important. Part of the process, certainly part of the writing by structure process, part of any process in a television writing room requires writers to pitch their stories before they write them. What Aristotle is saying is that you need to be able to verbally tell your story and incite fear or pity from your audience without the aid of anything visual, not talking about shots or angles, just your story. You tell me the story. And if it's exciting as you're telling it to me, it will work on the page. Pitch your stories before you write them. Talk them through. Talk them out. Tell them to your friends. This is part of the writing by structure process, the plotting process. You're going to put every scene that happens on a board. You're going to have the whole movie on index cards, scene by scene. Invite some friends over and tell them the story. Go through each card. Know your story so well that you can pitch it in a way that's exciting. And when I say pitch it, I don't mean sell it to a studio with visual effects, right? I don't want to hear anything about, you know, high angle and, and 
drone shots and helicopters and none of that, nothing, nothing, just the story itself, what happens. If you can do that, if you can do that to a room full of people, you can write it. You couldn't possibly not write it well if you can do that verbally. And the great thing also about pitching your story before you write it is that the people in the room are going to point out the holes. So as you tell the story, let them ask questions. Wait, what? I didn't understand that. But didn't that already happen in scene one? And you're so close to it, you don't see it. And you go, you're absolutely right. And you make a note on the card because that's something now you know you have to fix. Isn't it nice to be able to do that verbally? We get, we get stuck and we get muddled because we're trying to do four different processes at the same time. You have to pitch your story before you write it. I mean, you don't have to. You can write it and then sit there in a painful mess of notes after your, your, your draft is written because that's what's going to happen. You don't write the last draft first. No matter what, you will have to rewrite. You're not going to write a home run on the first draft. That's not how this is done. It's not the process of screenwriting. Screenwriting is a layered process. Get all your story holes out of the way before you write it. You're going to have a ton of writing notes to deal with. Places where, you know, you write a scene and someone says, this isn't quite clear. And you go, oh, okay, well, that's okay. I know how to fix that because I know what my story is. Because I go to my card and I say, oh, that's what I was supposed to write. I didn't quite execute that correctly. That's a writing note. But the only way for that writing note to be helpful is if you understand what you were supposed to be writing because you know the story first. I really hope that that that's coming um, across and I'm explaining this correctly because it's just such a wonderful thing to accept that you can't write your story until you can pitch it first because then you're going to be getting story notes and writing notes at the same time. And it's too hard. Writing notes are difficult enough as it is. You don't want to write a 120-page screenplay and then get the note that there's a hole at the top of Act 2 that doesn't make any sense. Well, now I got to throw all that writing out. But that's your fault because you should have pitched a story and not written a single word because the friend who read your script would have told you that weeks and weeks ago if you would have told them the story first. I hope that's clear. Okay, that's my, (laughs) I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Um, Fear and pity may be aroused by spectacular means, but they may also result from the inner structure of the piece, which is the better way and indicates a superior poet. For the plot ought to be so constructed that even without the aid of the eye, he who hears the tale told will thrill with horror and melt to pity at what takes place. That was the quote. That's what prompted my huge diatribe. We'll move on now. Fear and pity. Right? So he says all this stuff about fear and pity, right? Your your events have to inspire fear and pity. Well, how do you do that? Okay, so now he's going to really delve into how exactly do you incite these feelings? Let us then determine what are the circumstances which strike us as terrible or pitiful. So terrible or pitiful circumstances are actions that must happen between persons who are friends. If an enemy kills an enemy, there's nothing to excite pity or, or fear. We won't care. The suffering itself could be pitiful, he says, but, but on, a, on a deep soul level, we really won't care. But when a tragic incident occurs between those who are near and dear to one another, like he says, for example, if a brother kills a brother, 
or a lover kills a lover or a son or a father, right? A mother or son. These are the things that the great tragedies were written about. However, when you transfer them to today's screenwriting tactics, what he's talking about is stakes. What he's talking about when he's talking about inspiring fear and pity is to make sure your stakes are as high as they could possibly be. Go through your story and make sure that it's as claustrophobic and insular as it needs to be. Many times on our first drafts, on our first take on the story, our first attempt at putting the story together, we look outside of the story and we have, you know, something bad happened to the neighbor or something bad happened to the sister's kids, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, it couldn't happen to the main character. That's unbelievable. But why? Really make sure you have good reasons if things aren't happening to your main character. The stakes need to be as high as they possibly can. If it's just an arbitrary thing, then you're probably not writing it because it feels too difficult. It feels too palpable. It feels like it's too much. If that's your feeling, if you feel like it's too much, that's it. Go in that direction. That means the stakes are high. But if you have a story reason and you know have it worked out that things happen to the neighbor because then they start to happen to your main character, that's different. Make sure you understand why you're plotting the way you're plotting, not to make it easier on yourself, to make it harder, to make the stakes higher and higher and higher. So there are a couple different ways to accomplish this, to raise the stakes. If you have a main character who takes action, your story is in action. What are they doing? They make choices and they make some terrible mistake. This can transcend through any genre. If you're writing a comedy, they still have to make choices and do things that turn out to make their, their situations more difficult. We want to watch characters struggle. Otherwise, it won't be interesting. Think about gossip, right? One of, um, one of the things that we find is that um, gossip really is just a form of story. You're just telling an exciting story. That's what gossip is. I'm going to tell you something interesting about something bad that happened to someone or the, something that someone did that was bad. We're not gossiping about good things. So always go back to that, right? What's, what's the gossip in your story? If someone was telling the story, what would the juicy details be? Make sure those juicy details are in your story. So, you know, if you do something that's, that's a bad decision, right? And um, it causes harm. This action can be done consciously, right? With the knowledge of your main character. Your main character is doing bad and knows that they're doing bad. So maybe they're a shadow kind of character, a, a dark hero, an anti-hero. They're doing bad things and they know it. Your main hero is cognizant and aware that they're doing bad and they do it anyway is one type of story that inspires pity or fear that we would become this person. Then there's another type of story that inspires pity or fear. It's when when your character makes choices that cause harm, but they're ignorant to what they're doing and they don't realize that they're causing harm and they discover the harm they've caused after. Then we really have pity, right? You watch characters doing something and after they do it, they realize what they've done. We have extreme pity and we have fear that we might do make the same mistakes as that person, right? Cautionary tales. Another type of story that, that inspires fear or pity is when a person is about to do a terrible thing. Something's happened. They make a decision. They're about to do it. And then at the very last moment, they decide not to because they're 
moral character takes over, not because they're saved by the gods, right? We're going to talk about that in a moment. Deus ex machina. It has to come from the internal part of your story, your internal story. Everything needs to come from your characters, not from outside. So if they are on a mission to do something bad and at the last minute they decide not to, that decision has to come from within themselves. They can't be saved from something else. Chris at the end of Get Out decides not to kill Rose. Loki decides to save the people of Asgard at the end of Ragnarok, even though he's the villain that came from him. Nobody made him make that decision. That's a that's a superhero movie. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what you're writing, what you write, write well. But Aristotle says that the best way, and I don't know if I necessarily agree with him, but what he says is that the best way to incite the most fear and the most pity is when the deed that your main character is going to do, that's an irreparable deed. It can't be repaired. It should be perpetrated in ignorance. They should do it and then discover afterwards the repercussions of what they've done that they did not know. Those stories are difficult to construct. However, if while you're constructing your story and it comes about that it's possible for you to do it this way, you have an ignorant character, they commit an irreparable deed in ignorance, and after it's already done, they understand something that they didn't understand before. They have a recognition of something. Well, then that becomes a reversal. They committed this deed in ignorance. They have the recognition of what they've done. The plot reverses on itself. The thing that they thought they were doing for good, they were actually doing for bad. They recognize it. And then there is a moment of suffering, the repercussions of what they've done. For Aristotle, that is the, the most palpable. The story that incites the most fear and the most pity are those kinds of stories. So plots, he says, are either simple or complex. Here we are. You can write a simple plot. A simple plot is a plot that does not have any reversal or recognition. A complex plot has reversal and or recognition. Reversal of the situation is a change by which the action veers around to its opposite. We talked about this last week, but... To recap, in a reversal, your character gets the thing they want most and it seals their fate, their tragic fate, whatever that is. And a recognition comes when they realize it. And there's different forms of recognition, but not all plots, not all stories have this moment of reversal and recognition. Complex plots do. Simple plots are more, um, you know, you do find them in farce, farcical stories or action movies. Those are simple plots. It, it's just what they are. They're simple plots. They work. They're fun. They don't contain a reversal or a recognition. And that is how Aristotle defines them. Again, not having anything to do with genre. It's just a matter of how you're telling your story. That's basically what he's saying in this next section of Poetics. We're going to dive deep into reversals and all the different types of recognition next week. I didn't want to overwhelm. Again, we delve deep into fear and pity and the different types of plots that inspire 
fear and pity, how to construct your plot to inspire the most fear and pity to have the most stakes. So we dove deep into that this week. Next week, we will get more into complex plots and, and how to create them and all the different types of recognition and lots of other things. And so that's it for Poetics this week.